immaculate houses on the front edge of Cedar Gap. A huge maple caught the light so that every other leaf seemed veined in gold. But beyond that, a two-hundred-year-old oak was still completely green. It was a scene right off one of the postcards sold in the souvenir shops along Main Street. God, I love this town, said Ledwig. It gets prettier every year, Osborne agreed. Worth every battle we had to fight, Ledwig said complacently, remembering all the hours both of them had devoted over the years to getting a planning board in place. They'd had to twist a few arms and make a few enemies to convince local businesses to agree to some rules and restrictions for the greater good of Cedar Gap. But this was their reward. A prosperous and picturesque town, whose beauty drew thousands of visitors from early spring to late fall. A mountain jewel, whose desirability extended to enclaves of expensive vacation homes in the surrounding hills and hollows. In gardens behind the low stone walls, summer zinnias had begun to fade, while fall's blue asters and clear yellow chrysanthemums headed for their bright peak. The houses became larger and closer together. Small green wooden signs, neatly lettered in gold, announced that here was an antique store. There was an upholstery shop selling designer fabrics, and over there, three Victorian bed and breakfasts in a row. So discreet were the signs, one could almost forget that these were now commercial establishments, no longer private homes. Ledwig rounded the curb where Main Street formally began, and his complacent smile darkened into a scowl, as it always did the moment he saw that dilapidated log building on the right, with its raucous red and white decorations that would clash horribly with fall's oranges and browns when leaf season began. The shabby cedar siding, the rusting drink signs. The broken paving of the parking strip out front. Everything about the place irritated him beyond all reason. Want to stop? Asked Osborne. Make one more try. That's what you said last week, said Ludwig. But already he was slowing and looking for somewhere to park. The trading post was a blatant eyesore that sold fast food and tacky souvenirs. Like a slovenly old moonshiner who sits around in his dirty overalls and dribbles chewing tobacco on his yuppy daughter's white carpet, the place was an embarrassment to the little town's carefully cultivated image of taste and beauty. Yet there was seldom an empty parking space around it. As if to mock him, a red Mercedes pulled out from the curb. Ledwig slammed on the brakes and immediately put on his turn signal to claim the spot. It took a little hauling and backing, but he eventually wedged his SUV into the tight slot. Remind me what our last offer was, Osborne said as they stepped aside for a knot of tourists munching on hot dogs. A million three, said Ledwig. You game for a million four? Hell, we're neither of us getting any younger. Try a million five and let's lean on him. Tell him what we did to Sam Tysinger. 
For a moment, Osborne's mind blanked. Then he grinned. He'd always had an infectious smile, and several of the tourists smiled back. They found the elderly proprietor at the back of the store, shelving plastic souvenir moonshiner jugs filled with honey from local bees. He wore a red plaid flannel shirt, bib overalls, and clodhopper shoes, in a deliberate parody of a flatlander's conception of a mountain hillbilly. As they tendered their newest offer, he continued to shelve the honey with unconcealed impatience until Ledwig made a less than subtle reference to the planning board. You threatening me? He snarled then. Not threatening, Simon, said Dr. Ledwig. Just pointing out that the town commissioners are not going to let this situation go on forever. I was grandfathered in. Simon Prophet said, swatting the air as if shooing pesky dogflies. I've got the right setbacks. I ain't encroaching on nobody's property. Hell, I even took down old Cherokee Charlie, and he were a historical landmark. So you two can go screw each other, cause you ain't screwing me over another inch. Think about it, Simon," said Ledwig in his most persuasive voice. You're pushing eighty. You have no children. What are you hanging on like this for? You don't have to work this hard. You could take the money, go trout fishing every day, sit on the porch with your banjo, enjoy life. I am enjoying life. He turned to them with an evil grin. Twisting Ewan's tails gives me more pure pleasure than your million dollars. Enjoy it while you can," said Osborne, dark menace in his tone. "I surely do intend to." The old man opened his office door, reached inside, and pulled out a double-barreled shotgun. "Wouldn't advise either of you uns to come back here again. Old Jessie here's got something the matter with one of her triggers." The gun fell from his gnarled hands. It hit the floor, and one of the barrels exploded, sending birdshot skittering across the floorboards into his office. One pellet ricocheted back out into the store and pinged off Ledwig's shoe. Jesus, Simon! He yelled. Excited babble broke out at the front of the store. But the voice of a crotchety woman clerk cut across the exclamations. "Damn it all, Simon! You drop that thing one more time, and I'm gonna wrap it around your neck for you kill somebody." Ain't nothing but bird shot," Prophet called down to her. "Ever pick bird shot out of a man's shin, Doc?" But he was speaking to their backs. You're just lucky it landed like it did," his clerk scolded, coming with broom and dustpan. "You coulda hurt somebody." Simon Prophet just grinned. Luck had nothing to do with the way he dropped the gun. He took the broom the old woman shoved at him. Worth sweeping a little bird shot out of his office if it finally made them two think twice about pestering him to sell again.
Sonny waited for him on the large, shaded porch with the makings of his favorite drink near the lounge chairs. Her eyes questioned him as he came up the steps and paused to give Ledwig a parting salute before turning back to her. Well? she asked. They had been married for more than twenty-five years, so Norman Osborne didn't need to speak. She read the answer in his face. Oh, God, she whispered, fear tightening around her heart. It's gonna be okay, darling, he promised, opening his arms to her. He held her close and breathed in the sweet fragrance of her hair. It's gonna be okay. I'll call Bobby and Joyce tomorrow. Tell him I'm ready to deal. What about Carlisle? Will he... Oh, Carlisle doesn't have to know a thing. Who's going to tell him? Not me. Not you. The ashes will keep quiet till it's a done deal. And after that? He shrugged. After that, it won't much matter, will it? And if anybody ever asks, you didn't know a thing. You got that? She nodded, trying to hold back the terror she felt. But tears streaked down her cheeks. I only wish... Again, he put his arms around her. I know, darling. Me too. But from here on, we suck it up and play all the cards we still got, okay? Okay. No more crying? No more crying. That's my girl. Now, let's have that drink. <laughs>